Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this gathering here today. And I just want to ask, Lord, that your spirit would be moving in our hearts God, uh, that ultimately uh, what we are here for today is to draw closer to you and that you would be working that out in each one of our lives. Amen. You know, this summer we've been working our way through the parables of Jesus, these stories that Jesus tells that give us little glimpses of what the kingdom of God is really like and what it's about in our world. And today's the the last of these parables before we move into a new sermon series, and we're going to be in John chapter 10 the parable of the good shepherds. If you've got a Bible you want to follow along, we're going to be in John 10. But as I've been reading this parable for the last couple of weeks, I kept thinking about this news story that I saw probably at the beginning of the summer sometime. It was about this guy named Ray Lucas. Ray Lucas, you can see, is a father. He's got two beautiful uh, little twin baby girls. And uh, he was out at the store, like the grocery store, and he comes home from the grocery store and... uh, his babies were, were with grandma, and he pulls into the driveway, and grandma's on the porch as the house is just engulfed in flames, and grandma doesn't have the babies. And so uh, he instantly realizes that they must still be inside the house, so he puts the car in park, and he runs directly into this burning house that's literally falling down all around him, and uh, he grabs both of his children Uh, to get them out. He managed to get them out, no damage to the children whatsoever, uh, but he suffered third and fourth degree burns over his entire body, and he went blind from retina burn from the fires, but he saved his children. Now, his sight came back like a couple weeks later, like as they healed, but uh, obviously the burns are going to take a long time, going to need like surgeries to like, you know, fix. And after he was recovered a little bit, they asked him about like, "What, what happened? And this was what he said. He goes, I was speechless action took over me. I ran into the house to get my babies. I'm looking at it as a father. I did anything that any other father would do or should do. I mean, like that guy is a hero. You know what I mean? Like that guy is awesome. Uh, It's the kind of father that I want to be, but I'm probably not. And uh, I said that to my children last night. They were here for church, and on the way home, they were debating whether I would suffer burns or blindness, but they both agreed that I would not, I wouldn't suffer both for them. And, uh, But like this guy, this guy gets it, right? He puts it on the line. And uh, if you're familiar with the parable of the Good Shepherd, my guess is many of you have heard these words that we're going to read through before. The the story of the Good Shepherd is the story of the shepherd who puts himself on the line for his sheep. And uh, what I love about this is we see this sort of inaction. We see this small glimpse of what Jesus does for us. But what I I love about getting into John 10 today is we're going to see that there's so much more in this parable than just Jesus, the good shepherd who puts himself on the line. And I really want to talk about why does he have to do that in the first place? And then once we know that, what does it mean to live our lives following that good shepherd? So I want to dive into John chapter 10. It's It's a longer parable, but it's worth sort of reading in full. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, 
for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so we've got this story that Jesus is setting up. There's sheep, there's shepherds, there's a sheep pen. But it's interesting that it says the people didn't understand what he was saying to them. And if you've been here all summer, you've probably noticed this theme. Over and over and over again, as Jesus tells parables, it says the people didn't get it. But what's interesting is almost always in the Gospels, when it says the people didn't get it, Jesus then circles back and explains what's going on. And in John 10, he doesn't. In fact, what we're going to see is John, they just keep on going. Like Jesus keeps on with this story after noting that the people won't get it. And I think there's a, a reason for that, and it goes to the fact that they're dealing with sheep. If you're familiar with the history of the people of Israel, this was a people who were shepherds. You go back to Abraham. Abraham was a shepherd, and then all the way through this lineage of Egypt, being a shepherd was like the national job of the people of Israel. You could see it in their time in Egypt. You can see it in King David, who was a shepherd before he was king. And I think Jesus rightly believes, I don't have to stop and explain because the deeper I get into this story, this people uh, who are shepherds are going to understand where I'm going. And so he just keeps on pushing on, unlike in all of these other parables that we've seen this summer. He just keeps going, trusting that the people are eventually going to pick it up. And so he continues saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep." I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And so that's the entire parable. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about three things that I, I think sort of bookend this Jesus as the good shepherd. I want to talk about how we are not lions, we are sheep, why we desperately need that good shepherd, and why we need to learn to hear the shepherd's voice above all of the other voices that are in our world. And so first up, you know, we're not lions, we're sheep. It's interesting, Jesus des decides that he's going to use this animal you know, kingdom metaphor for, this, for the kingdom of God. And he doesn't say that you are lions and I am the great lion tamer. He says you are sheep. And I, that, that's a pretty big distinction that I, I really want to, to dive into because I think the reality is most of us probably, instinctively, I think there's this thing inside of us that lets us believe that we're actually lions. Like we believe that we are in charge what we want matters more than everything else. We're very self-centered because we, we think we're lions. You know, the lion's the king of the jungle, right? Where it goes, everybody else has to react around them. And that's how I think we live our lives an awful lot. I don't know if anybody else uh, reads the Cleveland Plain Dealer. I still read it every single day. And I've been following with rapt attention the story of this guy right here. 
This is former Cleveland City Councilman Ken Johnson. And uh, he's been on trial for uh, the last couple of months and just a couple weeks ago was found guilty of a whole bunch of financial-related crimes. Uh, he had been essentially um, stealing money from the city of Cleveland and the city of Cleveland taxpayers by falsifying um, hourly timesheets that he was submitting and then profiting off of. And then he had a little bit of tax evasion to go along with it. And so he was recently convicted. He's no longer on Cleveland City Council. And I've been following this really closely because I know Ken Johnson, at least a, a tiny little bit. Uh, when I was the principal at Lutheran East, he sent a couple of his kids there. And so I've, I, I interviewed him because we interview all parents. Um, I've probably talked to him 40 or 50 times in life. And so when he you know, pops up in the Plain Dealer, I'm reading this story like with a lot of attention. And as they've been going through his trial, the details are wild about what this guy did. And so my, my favorite anecdote was about his taxes. And a couple of years ago, he gave a car away to a local charity. And if you give something to charity, you can deduct the value of that on your taxes. But it was an old car. It was like a 40-year-old car. And he gave it to this local charity. And then the charity sold the car for about $3,500. So on your taxes, you should t take a deduction for $3,500. But, but Ken took a deduction for $30,000. And uh, now, clearly, they have the records of this. You know what I mean? Like, they're submitted documents in court. Like, you claimed $30,000. It was worth $3,500. This is one of those situations where you go like, I'm caught. You got me. I'm sorry. But not Ken Johnson. So Ken Johnson pleads not guilty to this. And so he's got to give, like, an excuse for why exactly he did this. And he didn't say, like, oh, I accidentally added an extra zero, you know, like nothing like that. His argument, and he said this in court, this is so crazy, was that he'd had the car for a couple of decades, and so it had in, incredible sentimental value to him that made it worth $30,000. And, uh, like, you read, like, the accounts of this, and people audibly laughed in court. You know what I mean? Like, when this was the, the testimony that was put out. But you know what that is? That's a guy who thinks he's a lion, Right? He thinks he can do whatever he wants to do because he's the king of the jungle. And it's easy to point at, like, disgraced former politicians, but how often do we, in, in ways that are real small, act this way in our, our normal lives? I mean, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was coming home late from work. It was about 8.30 at night. I hadn't had dinner yet. So there's a Jimmy John's at the end of the street where I live. It's literally, like, eight houses away, this Jimmy John's is. So I walk into Jimmy John's. It's 8.30. It's clear that they're not happy that I'm there because they close at 9. And I am the only person there, and there are seven employees. There's one there who's like there to deliver. You know, they do delivery at Jimmy John's. There's one person working the register, and there's five sandwich makers. And so I, I walk up, put in my order for a sandwich and a cookie, and uh, then nothing happens. Like, literally nothing happens. And so I'm the only one there. It's like four or five minutes in. Nobody's moved a muscle. And so I'm like trying to figure out how do I passive aggressively like make it clear that they should start making my sandwich, right? So you know you're doing like you're checking your watch, right? I'm losing my microphone here. And uh, so after it gets to 12 minutes and I start pacing like this, like <laughs> while I'm angrily looking at them, they're not moving, but I'm pacing back and forth. At minute 18, they decided to make my sandwich. And it was done at minute 19, because it takes a minute to make a sandwich, right? And so I, I'm then walking back to my house, and I'm so angry at these people at Jimmy John's. So I, I walk upstairs, and I, I'm sitting down to eat my, my Jimmy John sandwich, and 
they made it wrong. They didn't even get it right. And uh, I was so angry at this Jimmy John's. Like, if, if this happened to any of you, I promise, you would tell me the story, and I would laugh at you. But when it happens to me, you know what my take is? They don't know who I am. I'm, I mean, I'm nobody. I mean, just to be clear, I'm nobody. Like, they shouldn't know who I am, right? Like, how could they do that to me? And so I, I was uh, sitting up there at my house complaining, uh, and my younger daughter is like, Dad, is it possible you just think that you're more important than you really are? And I'm like, oh, man, you just like that cuts to the core, babe. Um, but that, that's, that's true of so much of our lives, right? Like, as soon as it happens to you, it's such a big deal because we believe that we're actually in charge of everybody else even when we're not. And I think this spills over into our spiritual lives, too. I mean, how many times have we, and I'll say for me personally, I, I've prayed for something, and then as soon as I don't get what I prayed for, when it's clear that God said no, how many times is our instant reaction to go, God, you got it wrong, right? Like, I prayed for something, God said no, and therefore God's the one who must be wrong. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, man, you just didn't hear me right. Like, maybe you didn't hear the words that I said, right? And then there's this anger that we've got with God because even in our relationships with God, we tend to think that we're in charge. Like, God's job is to be like the rocket fuel for our own personal, like, life plans. You know what I mean? In a, as opposed to our relationship with his God is about God changing and shaping us to be more like him. You know, there's something inside of us that says that we are lions. And when Jesus tells this metaphor about sheep, he's saying something pretty powerful. You're not in charge the way that you think that you're in charge. I, I, I listened to this uh, C.S. Lewis speech once where he was talking about the most important uh, characteristic that a Christian can really, really focus on is learning to be humble because it's only when we're humble that we recognize how great our God really is. But man, I think there's this pride thing that just surfaces over and over and over again. And in our lives, there's probably like peaks and valleys of this, right? Like when things are really, when things are a struggle, it's easy to see that we need God desperately. But when things are going good, it's because we're great. You know what I mean? Like we've got this like up and down. And God even warns the people of Israel about this thinking. Back in Deuteronomy, he says, eventually you guys are going to be the most powerful country in the world. You guys are going to be wealthy. And this is what he says. He goes, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Like, we don't end up in great circumstances because we're great. We end up in great circumstances because he is great. And so when Jesus tells this story, and he doesn't say, I'm the great lion tamer, he says, I am the good shepherd, you are the sheep. That's important. we got to recognize that we aren't actually lions. We're sheep. And one of the things that, that's true about being a sheep that the people of Israel knew quite intimately was that sheep are naturally vulnerable. They're vulnerable animals. I mean, if you think about a sheep, they're not very smart. There's a reason why you keep hearing stories about the lost sheep, right? Because they're, they're not smart enough to stay in places that are safe. They constantly wander off. But Jesus is saying something about us, right? And then sheep, I mean, they're not fast enough to outrun anything. They don't have camouflage. They can't fly. They don't have any sort of teeth that are going to do any good. They don't have claws. Like, sheep are like the most vulnerable animals I can ever imagine. They're like fluffy little pieces of meat waiting to get killed, right? Like, 
That's what Jesus is saying about us, right? And then he, t- he says in this story, he, he lists all of these threats that are out there for sheep. He goes, there's thieves, and the thieves come to steal, and they come to kill and destroy. He says there's wolves that are going to snatch and, and scatter them. And he even says that you can put your faith in people that aren't the ones who are actually going to take care of you. He talks about hired hands, and he says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. He goes, you guys are sheep and you are vulnerable. And we're vulnerable because we live in this sinful, broken world and we've got this sin that is inside of us. And I think if we're honest, we can, we can look at our world and we can see this natural vulnerability. You know, if you look at all of the research about church going in our society where we live, you know, over the last uh, 20 years or so, church going has just dropped precipitously. I mean, there's so many less people who are going to church every week where presumably they can be connected with the Good Shepherd. And at the exact same time, while church going is dropping dramatically, we can see, uh, you know, deaths of despair. This is what sociologists call deaths of despair deaths that are a result of mental health issues, suicide, alcohol related deaths, and drug related deaths jump at the exact same time that people stop going to church. And there are, there are certainly way, way, way more complex factors than just those two and those numbers. But I don't think it's much of a surprise that as people get disconnected from the shepherd, they're left really, really vulnerable. And there's all kinds of other vulnerabilities that exist in our lives, too. I, I've been in the, the education world for about two decades. And the, the biggest change over the last two decades in education is the mental health issues that we see with kids. I mean, it is stark. I was talking a little bit with Jim, after, Jim Fenske after church last night. He's been at this longer than I have. But the, the rate of anxiety and depression and mental health issues among adolescents, it's crazy how much more pronounced it is now than two decades ago. Because we're vulnerable people. And those vulnerabilities play out in all kinds of different ways when we're sinful and when we're broken. But man, it's the reason why we desperately need a shepherd. And the fact that we have a shepherd doesn't mean that those threats are naturally going to go away. I mean, we all know people in our communities who deal with all kinds of serious issues, but it changes dramatically when you've got a shepherd who's going to be leading you. There's a reason why uh, a sociologist will tell you that the single greatest thing you can uh, do if you want to improve your mental health is go to church every week, because uh, there's a real correlation between regular church attendance and uh, people who have strong uh, mental health outcomes. It's not perfect. You know what I mean? We still deal with this stuff, but when you've got a shepherd who's taking care of you, things change dramatically. It's why we desperately need this shepherd, and that's why we need this Ray Lucas guy, right? I mean, Ray Lucas is running into the burning building to save his babies, and we need a shepherd who's going to do the exact same thing for us. And this is what Jesus says in John 10. Uh, when he's talking about himself. I just love these words here. He goes, I am the good shepherd. He goes, I'm not the wolf. I'm not the thief. I'm not the hired hand. I am the good shepherd. And I I love when he talks about giving his life for his sheep. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. Like nobody makes him do it. He wants to do it. When he looks at you and when he looks at me and our sinfulness and our brokenness and our neediness, he says, I love you so much. I want to give my life for you. I mean, that's the definition of being a good shepherd, right? It's why, uh, you know, when King David writes Psalm 23, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he goes into this beautiful description of what it means to be led by Jesus. You, you then pair that with the fact that Jesus loved us so much to give his life for us. 
It's this incredible picture of what it means to follow God and to know him. It's awesome and amazing that Jesus loves us that way, despite how vulnerable we really are. But you know what? In this, uh, in this parable, Jesus doesn't just stop with, you're vulnerable and I'm here to take care of you. He also sort of gives us instructions and a, a picture for what it means to live our lives once we know the Good Shepherd. Because you know, knowing the Good Shepherd means that we are going to be saved eternally. But then there's still this like, what does it mean to follow the Good Shepherd now? Like, our, we still have lives to live now until we eventually meet him in eternity. And I think the real key to this is when Jesus says repeatedly, they know his voice. He says this over and over and over again in this parable. The sheep know his voice. The sheep know his voice. The sheep know his voice. And I, I wonder what it means to know Jesus' voice in our day-to-day -day lives. You know, when we're at church, it's pretty easy to hear God's voice, right? But then we leave church, and we've got, we've got family lives, we've got our personal lives, we've got work, we've got all this other stuff. I, I really think one of the keys to following Jesus is to know his voice in all of those circumstances. Because the reality is, is that there are a million other competing voices that want us to follow them over following Jesus. Wanna, let me give you an example of this. I, uh, I run pretty regularly. I even ran before I came here this morning. And I, I use the, the Nike Running Club uh, app to track all of my runs. It's really easy. It's on my watch. I start it when I start my run. And then it will tell me every mile how fast I'm running. At the end, it will give me all my mile splits. It keeps track of how much I've run each month, each year. Uh, it's, it's really wonderful. I love it. But then uh, a couple of months ago, maybe at the start of 2021, I don't know the exact start date, they added this feature where after they finish telling you all of your stats from the run that you finished, they then have this uh, Nike running coach comes on and does a little voiceover, and he tells you random encouraging words at the end of your run. And so uh, I always end up with like Nike running coach Corey. And uh, so I finished my, these are all true things. These are things that my Nike running app has told me after I finished runs over the last couple of months. Nike uh, run coach Corey tells me, you're faster today than you've ever been. Pretty soon I'll have to watch my back. That's not true. I want you to know that's emphatically not true. I've been running since I was 14. I'm not faster than I've ever been. In fact, I am much slower than I used to be. Uh, Corey is lying to me when he says that I'm faster than I used to be. Uh, I mean, I, I'm running at these like 830 miles. Like if I, in high school, I would have laughed at myself if I told you I was running 830 miles. He's, the guy's a liar, but he tells me this at the end of my run. A couple of weeks ago, he told me this one. Not everyone can get up in the morning and get after it, but you've proven that you can. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, what, what, is, what is this thing you are telling me? I like, okay, cool, I'm a nut because I got up at 5 a.m. to go for a run. And then uh, this was just this week, I got this one. No matter what else happens today, you got your run in, and nobody can take that from you. <laughs> Who's going to take that from me? Like, I'm going to show up to the office, and they're going to be like, you didn't really run, show me your Nike app, right? <laughs> like, what is the point of this voice? And so I, I find this incredibly annoying. So uh, a couple of uh, months ago, I, I went looking online for like, why did Nike start doing this, right? Like, what's the deal here? It used to be when you finished your run, there was just like applause that you'd hear over your headphones. That was weird enough. That now I get this voice, right? And so uh, I, I went diving through like running forums, and I, what happened was Nike had, did, had done some tests where if people get encouraging words at the finish of their, their run, they're more likely to run the next day. Like this voice has a purpose. And uh, you know what happens if they run the next day? 
then they run the next day, and then they run the next day, they need to buy new Nike shoes. <laughs> like, this voice does not exist for my good. This voice exists to get me to buy more shoes. And uh, I, I tell you this story because there are all kinds of competing voices in our world, and it's very easy to miss the fact that there's only one voice that actually has our own good at the heart. There's only one voice, like Jesus says in John chapter 10, that's there to give us life and give it to the fullest. But there's all kinds of other competing voices, and it's possible that we can start listening to their narratives, their way, and start following them and lose the voice of our shepherd. I mean, uh, there's all of this uh, just garbage that exists as soon as we, we get into the world of social media and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. There's all of the news outlets that we've got. We've got all of the, the cultural messages that we get from the movies and the TV show that we watch, the music that we listen to. And there are thousands of competing narratives out there. There are a million competing voices, and they probably don't have our best interests at heart. And it's so easy to end up listening to those voices and to end up missing the voice of the one who's actually calling us for our own good. I, I was reading a, a piece that was written by the pastor of Watermark Community Church out in Dallas. And he was talking about how they ended up putting this sign like on the pulpit that they preach out of every week. And I, I just love this sign. It says, uh, the divine physician's general warning. Ingesting false teaching will complicate your life, possibly eternally. Examine the scriptures to see if the things you hear are true. How many of us are actually doing that with all of the messages that we hear regularly? Are we scrutinizing the, the, the subtle cultural messages to see whether they're true or not? Because none of those messages that we're getting are there for our own benefit. Regardless of what, where you prefer to get your news, they exist to get you to keep coming back to get more news because that's how they get paid. And, and social media exists to keep you on that as long as possible because when you are on that medium, they are getting paid. They're not there doing it for your own benefit. That This is true for every single aspect of our lives. We get the, all these competing messages. Are we testing them against Scripture to see if they're actually good? Because my guess is everybody in here, we know people who at one point in time were following the good shepherd and then they heard other voices and they ended up straying. And it's because we don't test these messages against scripture. And even people who come talking about Jesus, they might not actually be telling us the truth about what Jesus has to say. There's a reason why this pastor preaches out of a pulpit that says, test what I have to say against scripture. You know what I mean? I think there's real truth to this. And so, uh, when, if we're going to realize that we're sheep, one of the things we got to really develop is this sense of hearing our shepherd's voice. And I got a couple of ideas of how we can be people who listen for our shepherd regularly. The first, it, this sounds easy. I, I think it's not when we put it into practice, but we need to spend more dedicated time with Jesus. If you want to know the shepherd's voice, you have to spend time with him to hear his voice. Those of you who are parents, probably grandparents too, I bet that if your kid is crying in a room of crying kids, you know exactly which one is yours. I mean, I, I've been in church enough to know that like, there can be a kid crying in the nursery. There can be 10 kids in there, but the mom whose kid is crying is straight out because she knows that it's their kid. Well, that's because they spend all that time with their kid. Well, if we're spending all of that time with our shepherd, we're going to know his voice. And so uh, the first question I got for you is, what do our prayer lives look like? 
Are we regularly spending time talking with our Savior, hearing from our Savior? Because if we're spending time in prayer, we're going to hear his voice more. What does our, our daily scripture study look like? The Bible is very clear that when we open up God's word, that God's spirit is there moving in our hearts. What does our daily scripture study look like? Because if you want to hear God's voice, you've got to be in the Bible. And then how much time are we giving to Christian fellowship? Are we spending time with our brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, the, the Bible says that when we spend time with other believers, it's like iron sharpening iron because we're going to be challenging each other. We're going to be holding each other accountable. We're going to be encouraging one another. This is one of the, the things that really scares me about the effects of, of COVID-19 is that I, I think we've trained a generation of people to not engage in Christian fellowship because they can stay in their pajamas, drink their coffee, and get church online instead of actually engaging with their brothers and sisters in Christ in person. If we want to listen for our shepherd, we need to be in Christian fellowship. But you know, there, there's a second aspect. We need to spend time with Jesus. The second thing is that it's possible that we may need to cut some voices out of our lives. Because if there's all of these competing voices, we got to be looking out for signs that those voices are starting to impact us and affect us. So uh, is our entertainment or our news beginning to call our heart or mind away from Christ. It is possible that the stuff that we are ingesting is captivating our heart more than Christ, and if that starts to happen, we need to cut it out. We need to get rid of that stuff if that starts to happen. Is our online consumption crowding out God's voice? I, I was reading uh, a brother in Christ had written something that I, I was reading the other day, and he uh, willingly gave up his iPhone and moved back down to uh, a flip phone because he, he felt like there was so much going on on his smartphone all the time that he had to get rid of it so that he could focus more when he was praying because he just couldn't stop like looking at it. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not saying that we all got to do that. Please don't, don't get me wrong. But is our online consumption starting to crowd out God's voice? I think that's a fair question. You know, uh, I was reading some research from uh, Barna a couple of uh, months ago, and it said that the average Christian spends roughly uh, two and a half hours more per day on Facebook than they do in the Bible and prayer. Well, I mean, it, at that point in time, it's fair to ask, is our online consumption crowding out God's voice? Because that, that's pretty dangerous. And then are the people we listen to pulling us closer to God's heart, or are they pulling us further away from God's heart? The Apostle Paul says that we have to watch out for yoked relationships, these relationships where we're so close that when one person moves, it moves the other one as well. He says, you can't be in relationships with unbelievers that are that tight because those people can pull your hearts away from God. And we need to be the, the types of people who not just know that we have a good shepherd, but the types of people who are hearing his voice so that we can follow it in every aspect of our lives. I want to show you this video that I, I saw a couple of months back. I, I think it's an old video, actually, but I just had never seen it before. And it's this, uh, this video of these tourists who are uh, touring through the countryside, and they decide to stop and see a, uh, a shepherd and, like, his sheep pen. And uh, while they're there, the, the tourists decide that they want to, to try to call out to see if the sheep will answer to them. And uh, just watch this video because I think it's going to give you this real picture of what it means to be so locked in on Christ's voice that he's the only one that we are following.
as soon as they hear that guy's voice, right? Like, they don't look up for anybody else. They only look up for him, and then they come to him immediately. It, that's, the, that's what God is looking for in our lives as well. And it's possible because he is a good shepherd, and it's possible because he wants to talk to us, spend time with us, get to know us so that we can hear his voice that clearly as well. Please pray with me. God, I, uh, I want to thank you that you are that good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for us. That's amazing. And God, I want to ask that, that you would really instill a, in us a humble spirit so we recognize why we need that so much, because when we know that need, we're going to love you even more. And then, God, I, I want to ask that we would be people who hear your voice just incredibly clearly above all of the other voices, God, so that we can follow you in every aspect of our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.